Welcome to Gestalt University, hosted by the team of Resolve Asset Management, where evidence inspires confidence. This podcast will dig deep to uncover investment truths and life hacks you won't find in the mainstream media, covering topics that appeal to left-brain robots, right-brain poets, and everyone in between, all with the goal of helping you reach excellence. Welcome to the journey. Mike Philbrick, Adam Butler, Rodrigo Gordillo, and Jason Russell are principals of Resolve Asset Management. Due to industry regulations, they will not discuss any of Resolve's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by the principals are solely their own opinion and do not express the opinion of Resolve Asset Management. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For more information, visit investresolve.com. Everyone, welcome to our latest Resolve Riffs. Uh, before we begin, it's good to uh, just let everyone know that this is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Caveat emptor, do your own research. This is not investment advice. Amen to that, Richard. <laughs> we are we are definitely here to to have some have some fun and really have some behind the scenes conversations. Things that you might you might hear that happen at at a happy hour in a conversation. Uh, that I've had with amongst these various gentlemen at many times, some poolside. Well, all of you, I've probably had a poolside drink with a time or two. But uh, really, really happy to welcome Ross here, a financial consultant for 40NSTC, Director Community of Altruist Invested Investors, the Human Advisor Podcast, a great podcast. If you haven't checked that out, a, a, a an Olympic trials qualifier, so a high level athlete. He knows what it's like to win and lose. Mike, your signal went, as well. went out there a bit. So and, Ty- Tyrone Voss, just just to uh, as soon as you're telling telling everyone the guy's name, it, it went off. So yeah, Tyrone Voss here. So <laughs> Sean Cumby. You want to, yeah. Mike, introduce Sean? And yeah, can you guys? Are you guys hearing me or no? no you're no. back. You're back. I'm back. Island, All right. Yeah. Island so, Network. Uh, I apologize. I am. I'm. I'm having a little bit of uh, network difficulty, but we'll work through it. We'll work through it. You guys hear me now or no? Yeah. What's happening? Okay. Um, Sean Cumby. He's worked. He's worked at uh, Resolve in the past. Been our head of futures trading. He's had billion dollar books at his disposal, and also uh, launched a you know, crypto asset fund, a Bitcoin fund in Canada on on the exchange, on the TSX prospectus listed and the whole nine yards. So something that uh, leading edge for Canadian investors, again, like they were with ETFs. Uh, there's a there's an investable vehicle for uh, investors in Canada to consider at least the crypto asset universe. So um, I have no idea if you guys can hear me or not. Yeah, we can. We can. Yeah. Loud and clear, man. <laughs> Show us your drink. Show us your drink so we can actually get that, uh, that out of the way. I'm actually going for a COVID-free Corona. Free. Cheers. Whoa. Tyrone, <laughs> athlete with his water. Sean, I'm what are you drinking? I'm the star. <laughs> Negroni, gin, Campari, and uh, Martini Rosso. Not bad. Amazing. Not bad. Yeah. Mm. All right, Mike, what's the topic today? I guess we're talking about crypto. Well, you, you know what? And and um yeah, hopefully you're 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 hearing me. But when when we uh we we get a lot of interest, I personally have a lot of interest in this new frontier asset class that is um crypto assets for a number of reasons. And um I think that 
generally in the world of a financial um, ongoings, investment advice and whatnot, not this investment advice, investment topics. I think this is a pretty big topic that is an up and coming topic. And this is for me that it's up and coming. And, and so when I think about two guys who have actually been on the leading edge of this curve, who have invested significant uh, time and money and effort into understanding this particular frontier asset class and committing to that asset class early on, this is years ago, um, you know, Sean and, and Tyrone came to mind as two leaders in this field. And, and really, we wanted to just pick your brain in an open discussion. You know, no, no products, but lots of knowledge, lots of insight. What's happened over the last two or three years as you guys have gone in the journey? What were the things that came to mind? Like, how did you make that commitment so early on to, to really sort of more fully jump into this opportunity or, the, or this idea, if you will? And, and just, you know, maybe walk us down that journey a little bit. I guess I'll defer to Sean. You want me to go first? Sure, sure. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I was working for a quant hedge fund and uh, uh, love technology. Heard about Bitcoin, you know, uh, late 2009, 2010. Couldn't really get my head around it. Remember it going through 10 bucks then a hundred bucks, then a thousand bucks. And I was like, okay, I'm going to pull back from a thousand, set up my application for a Mt. Gox. And it literally got hacked, uh, you know, like a couple weeks after I was still waiting for my, uh, my account to be approved, uh, backed off. And then it, lucky break. Yeah. Yeah. Better, better lucky than smart sometimes, but, um, got involved with, uh, the company I'm with now invested in them. Uh, in uh, 2017, and uh, Bitcoin just took off. The underwriters uh, who were planning, we were planning, they were planning to do a Bitcoin fund at that point in time, and the underwriters were saying we might raise two, three hundred million dollars for you. And so I called them and I was like, "Have you ever traded two or three hundred million dollars of anything?" And they were like, "Well, no." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll be in your office in 15 minutes because." That was kind of my bread and butter when I worked at uh, TE Bank. And then just got more and more involved and then sadly uh, had to leave Resolve uh, due to conflicts of interest and uh, been working there since uh, April of, uh, or sorry, since uh, February of 2018, trying to get a Bitcoin fund listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And it finally happened in April. That's awesome. Um, for me, it was a what a journey that was <laughs> for me, a little different path. So I, I want to say it was right around 2015. I had a friend of mine who was, you know, he was the one when we were growing up, who was always tinkering with computers and making our fake IDs and everything. So um, right around 2015, he had mentioned Bitcoin and I always, you know, anyone in this space has two lives, right? One when you heard about it, and then the, the second one when you actually took it seriously and went and went all in. Um, and finally, you know, he convinced me to download an app called Bread Wallet, and he sent me some. And I was like, "Wait a second, this is different." Um, and then he was like, "Well, I'm going to give you an address. Send it to this address." And it was it was a third person, and I sent it to them instant. Right. And, and again, if you're a financial advisor and you work in financial services, you realize how long everything takes to settle and clear and do all of that. 
Um, and then also growing up poor in an unbanked home, I realized the power of what that's going to do for folks to not be a part of the banking system. It immediately clicked. I'm like, this is, you know, imagine if my mom and dad had this growing up. There's no payday loans, no check cash in places, no money orders. This this is incredible. But I still didn't read the white paper. So he puts me in this Facebook group chat with, to this day, some of the smartest people I've ever come across. Cryptographers, computer scientists, data scientists, the whole deal. And I'm looking at the conversation and there's all these fancy terms, SHA-256 and oracles and mempools. And I'm like, and I'm like, all right, it has to be something. And I started to see they're giving each other some terrible investment advice. And I'm like, bing, I'm like, that's where it is. And um, that that fall, I had a chance meeting with Howard Lindzen. Some folks may know Howard Lindzen, who's a, a pretty notable investor here in the in um, it's from Toronto, actually. Right. Is it Toronto? He's from Canada, but he's, you know, known in the, in the FinTwit circles, as we t- call it on Twitter and asked him for 15 minutes of his time. He ended up giving me an hour and a half. And he goes, if you want to be as successful as financial advisor, if you want to be, I challenge you to hang your hat on crypto, learn everything you can go all in on crypto in the startup space. And I did that then and it changed my life. And then literally right as I was getting into it, 2017 happened. And then it was like, all right, now it's prime time. You can see all of the mistakes that were made. You can see how financial advisors were completely blind. Most still are, but I was able to add some value, not only to the retail investor, but also to advisors on what this is going to look like moving forward. The beautiful thing is now the infrastructure now is a lot more robust than it was in 2017, but nothing has been built for advisors. The education is not geared for advisors. Um, There's no products, especially here in the U.S., that are geared for advisors. So now we're in this really weird space where we are the conduit to a lot of retail money, trillions of dollars. But our practices, right, our, our education, our tools are not set up to be able to handle that. Um, and I'll get into this a little later. I actually had to build a whole crypto practice outside of the traditional markets because everything was held away. And then as I left that world and then continued to build for what I think financial advisors will need in the future and large asset managers, by the way, um, it's it's taken on a whole different realm. And I've been able to you know, use what I've learned over the last four or five years um, to educate not only retail investors, obviously, as an advisor, but fellow advisors on the space. I'm going to just jump into what you just uh, were referring to, how to position perhaps for retail investors, Bitcoin in their portfolios. I remember back in 2017 when I saw that this was really gaining some traction and some momentum. I remember reading the uh, Bitcoin white paper and reading some other papers and telling myself that, yeah, I think I get a hang of this thing. And really what I was doing was, was momentum trading. I was jumping onto that trend that was skyrocketing. I, I wrote it for a little bit, made some money. And then I could tell that, you know, this may have gone a little too far. And ever since then, I think uh, last year, I started dipping my toes back in and uh, putting a small position to my portfolio, more of sort of a hedge against an unknown future, something that I don't understand. Because kind of this is where... There's such a huge information asymmetry in this space. There's a small group of people that really understand what's going on. And then this, the rest of us that are sort of seeing this, this mega hype and a lot of flow and some major uh, big investors talking about how they're positioning it into their portfolios. And that's 
I think we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But I was curious to see from you, Tyrone, how is it that you, what's the framework that you use for individual investors, retail investors to, to add cryptocurrency in their portfolios? So I, I sit, So my own thesis around Bitcoin is this. It is a long dated call option on a store value. That's my framework. So my I, don't get in, I don't get into the nuance of is it digital gold? Is it a store value now? Is it current? Bitcoin is all of those things and more. You can't put it in a box. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. So that's my own personal thesis, right? I don't follow daily price action. It's a long dated call option on a store value. And I think depending on where you sit, it, it may be a savings vehicle for some. What country are you in? Right. Look at remittances. Is, is that something that you are? If you are again, if you are a hedge fund, if you are, 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 are you know, a fund manager, now you're talking about the, the non-correlated properties and things like that. So it depends on where you are. For me, dealing with a younger client base that is looking at it as here is something that's speculative. Let's be honest. To them, it's speculative. It has some properties of being a digital gold, so they find that exciting. And then it kind of it's volatile, so it's it has that day trading stock feel. But I've never had to pitch it. All the clients that come to me already own it, and they come to me because you're the financial advisor that's not going to tell me to sell it, right? Like, and you also understand cold hot storage, hardware wallet, multi sig decentralized finance, borrowing against it, lending against it, all of these things. So they know that they could come to me. We're always going to get back to financial planning and the basics of a, a, a goals based planning. It always goes there. But right away, their comfort level is you get it. I know you get it. So I'm comfortable talking to you, but I've never had to pitch it. I've never had to say, well, you're talking about gold. Have you thought about Bitcoin? So they've always come to me already owning it. And then what I try to do is be honest, is try and get them to diversify away from crypto. Right. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to suggest. Yeah. Right. They diversify away from it. Now it's like, OK, well, you know, some of the portfolios I've seen financial advisors will bug out there. There may be some startup stock in there, some founder stock. There may be some Bitcoin. Right. And there may be some some Tesla and some marijuana stocks in there. And then there's a whole bunch of cash. But that cash could be USDC, Paxos. It could be Tether. Right. It could be a whole bunch of things. So and that's the beauty. Again, and we can get into this later, but that's the beauty of the stablecoin space right now is that for advisors, they don't even realize that's eventually going to be our money market. So when an advisor, when a client wants to sell down their Bitcoin position and they want to park money somewhere, you're going to do that in stable coins. But right now, financial advisors can't even make that connection. Um, so for me, it's all right. What do you own? Why do you own it? Where do you own it? How tech savvy is the client? Right. Going through a full risk tolerance, another investor in policy statement, time horizon, all of those things. And based on that, now I start to open up the conversation is this is a trust in the state, you know, the, the tax planning piece. So there's so many parts of it as, a, as, as an advisor when you're dealing with retail as opposed to dealing with family offices, pension funds, things like that. But it's it's I've never had to pitch it. And then it's all right. You own too much of it. <laughs> let's let's diversify away a little bit. You're highly concentrated, but they don't even know what that means. Right. So just a quick example here. But I have a client highly concentrated in Microsoft stock. He works for Microsoft, but he gets crypto 
and he owns a lot of crypto. And I'm trying to get him to understand, right, concentration versus diversification and then what that looks like from an overall, right, what it means to be an investor with a broad portfolio and asset strategy, management strategy, and then kind of help them execute against that. Yeah, that makes sense. Sean, what are your thoughts around that? If, if any. Um, it, it's been pretty much the exact opposite of Tyrone's experience. Like in, we're, we're mostly having to do the, you, you understand gold being in Canada, uh, very gold heavy, you know, like a lot of folklore around investing in gold in Canada um, and introducing a lot of people to digital gold. A lot of people, like we've addressed the the traditional financial channel. I mean, that's where there's just a ton of money there. Um, and we just wanted to create a, a, a simple, straightforward, professional product that if somebody wants to take a position in Bitcoin, you know, 1%, 2% as a, an asymmetric return bet um, for the long term, like we suggest, you know, hold it through two halvings. Um, I guess at this point, one more having, you know, it, it's been, a, it's been a challenge like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a challenge. There's just no two ways about it. Like you can scratch the surface, think you understand it. And then when you get into it more and more and more, it is just. How long are the halvings? Every four years, approximately. Every four years. Okay. So we just went through one on May 11th. So eight year uh, horizon you're, you're proposing, which is. Yeah, I think over the next four, you know, typically, if you look back 2012, that having it was a, a concept and it went up an insane amount, then pulled back a fair bit. The subsequent having in 2016 went up 28 times, pulled back 80%, rose up again. We've just passed through the next having. Um, there's great potential because everything, everything in finance is a trade. You're exchanging one thing against another thing. Most people are exchanging uh, an ownership position in a company. They own equity. To get that equity, they sell U.S. dollars. That's an exchange. Everything's an exchange. So what's going to be the ultimate denominator for Bitcoin in the world's eyes is the U.S. dollar. If uh, they continue to print it, if, you know, Bitcoin will only get stronger against the U.S. dollar. So it's been a struggle. The products out there, it, it's been uh, um, we haven't had any Canadian bank dealers in our, our syndicate. But when we look at the flow of where is our stock going, it's going into the banks, into the bank stock accounts. OK, yeah. But do you see it as virtual gold? I mean, uh, digital gold into the future? Because when we were thinking about the title for, for today's riff, this was kind of like a half tongue in cheek uh, uh, comment, but it was also, I was looking a little bit at the uh, correlations to gold and to, to S&P uh, over the last couple of years. And then particularly in, in Q4 of 2018 and in the first quarter of this year, mm-hmm. those are two major risk off events where gold uh, benefited from, from from the risk off environment, whereas Bitcoin endured quite a bit of a drawdown. So right. I was, do you think that that's part of the the, the this idea that this hasn't really caught on uh, uh, to those with their hands in the levers of power? Like, well, it's, mm-hmm. Bitcoin is still so small. 
right? Like it's probably less than the cash on Apple's balance sheet. It's just time, right? But I, I, I like the idea, idea of digital gold, like gold coins uh, back in the day were actually a currency like a couple thousand years ago, but nobody uses gold coins as a currency now. But whenever a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago, you pay taxes with gold coins and so on. But then as gold became more valuable uh, and the stock to flow made it harder and harder, uh, it became a store of value. And I think we'll see the same thing in the evolution of what is Bitcoin in terms of what it represents to the world so that people will see it as uh, digital gold and then potentially literally like uh, the, the SDRs, right? Like it'll be something even greater, let's say if Bitcoin's a million dollars a coin, um, the, the, the slow settlement times won't matter. Everything will be done fractional. The number of exchanges will be few. And when it's at you know twice the hardness of gold, and is incorruptible and immutable, it'll represent something that humanity has not yet seen. You're referring to the special drawing rights of the Bank for International Settlement, right? That's right. The, the analogy there. Okay. Yeah, what, what I was getting at, it's because I can imagine Gen Zers, millennials, people that have been born with gadgets in their hands, taking to the technology a lot more, Gen Xers to some extent as well, but I would imagine that uh, people who were born in a time when they were still the gold standard, who happened also still to be the, those with their hands in levers of power, those with the largest 401ks and Ross and RSPs here in Canada, those who, who still control the large chunks of money. I would imagine that to them, it's, it, it, it's a little harder to jump on that narrative or to, to embrace it wholeheartedly. Obviously, you have... Uh, you have uh, people who are who have jumped on this, so so there are exceptions to that rule. But I would say in general, it's much more the the, the younger generations that may hopped on uh, jumped onto this uh, to this idea. So do you think that there's also this generational gap, and it, it'll take a few years, potentially a decade or so, until more of the control of this uh, money is in the hands of of, of people who, whose minds can can wrap around the idea. I think so. I, I mean, well, let's look at the numbers. So 30 trillion or so, they said, of assets will pass down over the next three decades. Um, you also have the first asset class in history that was led by retail. Retail came in first. Look at look at Coinbase. If it wasn't for and, and, and actually, let's go back. You look at 0809 when Bitcoin was introduced to the world. Shortly after that, we get the iPhone. Shortly after that, we get the App Store. That six months to year time frame there was set up perfect for this. Now you have this crazy bull market for the next 10 years. Bitcoin was born in a perfect environment, including tech, uh, you know, demographics, everything. Perfect time. But now, to your point, led by retail, everything is on a phone. I can do it through an app. It's very easy Right. And it's not as hard as some people think for 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 you to buy Bitcoin. It's very simple. Cash app makes it very easy, beautiful and simple and safe to buy Bitcoin. Right. So I think people really underestimate where it is for retail. But to your point, because they've grown up with it back back to those demographics, if I'm 25, 2009. Right. That was 12 years or 13, 14. 
I grew up with the phone. I grew up doing everything from here. Whereas boomers, right, who grew up with having to do research and using someone to utilize research and and having a fundamental construct around investing and it fitting into this nice, neat plan, Bitcoin isn't that. So, which is why now, again, if you look at pension funds, endowments, all the folks that we're trying to get in, it's a very regimented, a rigorous process before making an investment. And if you look at Fidelity Digital Assets, they just put out a report. Three th- and I don't really care about the numbers of the adoption. I never look at those reports. That. What are the concerns? Number one concern, volatility. Young folks could care less. When on that week in March, I think it March 12th, where Bitcoin went dropped 50%, not no one call, one text, one anything from a client. They expect it. They understand it. Market manipulation. Very important to the institutional side, right? There, there, there's still a lot of that. Prime brokerage is lacking. We're getting better price action and liquidity. A lot needs to be a lot of development there. And the last is a fundamental framework for valuing. Now, I think Sean and I would agree. I think there's some things there. Stock to flow being one, realized cap. There are a few others there. But you can't put that in front of an advisor, right? You can't really put that in front of Howard Marks and go, no, this is this is it. This is this makes some sense to you. So I think when you look at all of those things, there is a there's a there's a digital divide. And I think there's also this. I guess you could call it a demographics, right, or age divide in terms of where if, if I made my money. And I've and I've I've set up financially, I'm going to be slower to move to something that may more be risk averse. And yeah. more risk averse. Or, yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. A little. It's a it's a fad. Right. Like it's it's speculative. That's how they're looking at it. Where it's like, well, why wouldn't I own gold? Right. And, and if you, I've seen gold and I understand it and it makes some sense where a younger generation is. They don't have that same. It's here. It's right on my phone. I'm, I'm 21 years old. I can just go in and Bitcoin is there. It's this thing that was in this app that I downloaded. Right. Where I also send money back and forth to my friends. So I do think that divide there makes sense. But again, as these assets starts to be inherited, right, and transferred, now you're going to have a younger demographic say, all right, well, this is what I've inherited. I think I'm going to you know, divest in some of these things. And I am going to put a significant portion into digital assets um, in, 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 in many forms. But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out moving forward. We had uh, the experience where we went to talk to uh a very, very large, you know, multi-billion-dollar family office, and they give uh, all of the kids of the family some money to invest in their ideas. And one day, uh, one of the the heirs came in and said, "You know, here's here's a ledger with uh, I bought Bitcoin with my allocation." And the the PM was like, "Whoa! Like, what do, what do I do with this?" Like, he was afraid to even touch it, you know, and. Uh, He's like, this doesn't fit with our IT. We don't know how to do the accounting mm-hmm. on it. It doesn't fit into our limit models. It doesn't fit into value at risk. And I said, well, you know, at some point uh, when we get regulatory approval, we'll have Bitcoin with a QSIG, right? And he goes, that's what I want, right? Like, yeah, I get that. You know, I might not ever understand everything about Bitcoin, but I understand now how I can use that for a wealth product. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing to, to Tyrone's point that I love reading about is like, who are these guys that got it early, right? That like, that it clicked for them, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about like, 
the like, cypherpunks. You meet outside yeah. of the cypherpunk group, well, but that's a small level, group. Yeah, even one level past that, like the Winkle bosses, how did they, what clicked for them? Yeah. I'm talking about the, like, kind of the old finance guys, like Bill Miller, mm -hmm. um, Michael Novogratz, the, the macro investor that became an early Ether winner. Mm -hmm. um, Paul Tudor Jones has jumped on it recently. Well, that's very recent, but like back in the day, like Peter Brigger at Fortress Investment, who's like a super deep value credit guy, like they got Bitcoin way ahead of everyone else. Like arguably they got, they pulled Novogratz into it. And uh, yeah, that's where he was from. Novogratz was Fortress as well. From Fortress, you know, and Dan Moorhead who formed Pantera and they're like, like, a, like some crazy number. Um, like, I just love reading the stories about how they saw this early, early, early and took like a small allocation that grew, you know, a hundred times in value. Yeah. Lessons yeah. And, and to like Tyrone's point, like the platform of the mobile phone. The one thing I've learned is we want to look for investments that address a global market through software technology delivered on a smartphone. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have a globally addressable market instantly. Yeah. And Bitcoin is that for money. Mm -hmm. But how do you deal? I mean, going back to, I think both of you guys. All right, I'm back. <laughs> That's the quietest I've ever been <laughs> on any of these. Rims. We missed you. <laughs> I was killed. We you know, when you're at the, the happy hour, I had to go to the bathroom because I was verklempt. I was, I was choking on a hot dog. I couldn't say anything. It's that island internet. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I got it now. I'm, I'm on. I'm on. So go ahead. My apologies. No, no worries. I was just going to ask a little bit about the custodial uh, side of this, because I know that I this has that. been a, a, a big concern for, for a lot of people. You mentioned the Mt. Cox hack. I remember buying one of those little uh, digital wallets. I think it's called a treasure or something along those lines. I remember using it, learning how to use it, all the, all, all the different codes. And I know that for institutional money, that's one of the big concerns. And so uh, some people have used, uh, I think it's called cold storage. So I'm trying to get a little bit more information from, from both of you guys. How do you think on the institutional side, Sean, but I guess uh, on the retail uh, side as well, Tyrone? Well, could, I, I don't know if just before you jump into that, I'd also like to add some context there. So did we talk about sort of the market cap of, of sort of Bitcoin, crypto yet? Sort of the briefly two, 200 billion in, yeah. in sort of asset of, of, of size. and Is that Bitcoin or, or all the crypto all, all, I think it's all the crypto space is, okay. is 200 billion. So, you know, in the context of the institutional framework, you know, what is the drive towards it? I think I heard um, you, Tyrone, talking about the, you know, the Fidelity studies. There's probably a hundred people at Fidelity working on this um, in, in Fidelity Global. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you've got some people working on the problem. Um, I know, Sean, that's one of the reasons I was looking forward to having you on, because you actually navigated this uh, in the in the Ontario landscape from a, from a regulator's perspective and actually got a prospectus based product that that trades at a, you know, uh, trades at a very small premium to the actual underlying and allows people to take advantage of this right inside their uh, their account. So you've got sort of the retail. And so, yeah, on the institutional question. The, the what are you seeing is their objections what's the what's the uh, traction like and any speculation on either one of your sides and when do you think the market cap needs to get to i think a, a trillion certainly makes it a an asset class that that you know to be reckoned has with. to be yeah has yeah. to be reckoned with yeah at 200 you know how does that happen are you seeing that coming through with your uh with your order books um on the canadian side and and 
sort of that little bit of context around that. We got a few questions coming through on the YouTube as well, so I will come back to those. Uh, so you, th those of you asking questions, keep them coming. We'll, we'll get to them. The, the last raise that we did that just uh, closed uh, this morning, um, we saw a much more institutional participation, hedge funds, but also Canadian mutual funds were uh, buying into this round, which is great to see because we've just said, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to put this product out there, we want the highest level of professionalism and custody. And we, we found that with Gemini, we evaluated uh, many. Um, we love them. There are other great guys coming up the curve. Um, but I'm very interested in Tyrone's experience because, uh, you know, I, I know one guy who got involved in uh, crypto. <laughs> he bought a bunch of Ether and then kind of forgot about it and then was reminded about it, and he looked at his phone, and he had $6 million worth of Ether on his phone. <laughs> and and I hear these stories about guys like, uh, you know, I met a guy that mined Bitcoin from early in 2009, which he was on the original cryptography list through 2013, and he got divorced then. I said, did you set your mining rigs up again? He goes, no, but you know what? It, it didn't matter, right? Like, he has everything on like metal cards and like he he's like he's an honest to god cryptographer but i see these guys that are walking around with literally tens of thousands of dollars in their hot wallet and i just wonder like i talk, like what do you do when somebody comes to you like that great question so let, let's create a framework around this whole conversation so I'll start with financial advisors to move out. So for financial advisors, it's a very interesting place and very complex, which is why it's a very weird spot for an advisor to be in. It, Bitcoin is a bearer asset, right? The, the, the lore is I can hold it. I can then take that. In, and now I'm in the whole crypto ecosystem. So when you and I've come across that same thing. So with the when the clients do that, it's like, OK, well, you want to know. Again, their tech savviness. How how much are they able to be secure with holding that much crypto on their phones? Which a lot of people have that. So you have these sim these sim port attacks now. There's a lot of issues, right? If they do put it on a hardware wallet, now what do they do with that? Because if they lose that, there's all the crypto. Do they put it in a safety deposit box? So there's a lot of conversations. The main thing that I tell financial advisors is. If you have a client that comes to you and they say, well, I have crypto at Coinbase or Binance, all these other places, you panic a little bit because you're like, OK, well, they've Coinbase, in my opinion, is is the, the best house in a bad neighborhood. But as a fiduciary, you want to talk to them about the safest way to do that is to get it off of there. So you want to be able to help them with some custody options. Now, I've had conversations with Gemini as well for some projects that I'm working on. And Gemini is a really good quality store, SOC, you know, SOC 2 audits, all that other stuff. Really great place for those that understand. For financial advisors, it's Fidelity hard stop. For no other reason, they trust Fidelity. You're not going to convince them that they're going to put their client's crypto at a startup, right? And that's what Gemini is. It's Fidelity or bust, period. There's, it's no conversation after that. Now there are the great, you know, Kingdom Trust and so many others, BitGo, and we could keep going. It's Fidelity hard stop because you know what else? I probably custody my brokerage assets, right? Or client or other assets at Fidelity. They just have the trust and trust matters here. Now I'll go a level higher. When you look at institutions, again, from conversations that I've had, which is interesting here, 
and, and Sean, I'm sure you started to have these conversations well, is two things. Decentralized custody, where atomic swaps, right? So atomic swaps, and then also multi-sig. So when you have decentralized custody, which is coming, which I can't wait for, right? But again, how do you explain that to a financial advisor or you sit and explain that the wisdom tree or, you know, you can't, you would have to explain atomic swaps and then what multi-signature is. And multi-signature is just simply, you need more than one signature for that Bitcoin to move. What's missing within the institutional conversation is exactly that. I've had conversations with wisdom tree, their head of research. And I asked him, I'm like, you guys use, you know, and I won't say what they use, this is who you use for custody. Have you thought about multi-sig? Are you familiar with atomic swaps, the instant transfer of assets decentralized away from you? So maybe it's at State Street. You have some at Fidelity and then you have some yourself in here with your internal. Right. You have a two or three signature. Two people have to sign. Right. Maybe the client takes some. Maybe there's a trust in a state attorney involved. So custody is very, very sticky depending on where you sit. But it's gotten better. There's a lot of really good choices. Like I said, Gemini is really good. Um, in terms of their security models and how they actually, you know, they're a qualified custodian. But again, for individual retail clients, that's a very like if you buy on Cash App, it immediately goes into cold storage. If you want to take that off of coin of, of Cash App, now you got to tell that client, OK, well, these are your tre- treasure or ledger. Right. How does that actually work, though, the cold storage? I understand that the hot wallet is just something that's online, that it's, it's susceptible to hacking. But the cold storage is just basically something that's taken into a kind of a hard drive outside, unconnected from the web. That's it. Is that just the distinction? Simply, yes. It's it's not it's not um, it's not it's offline. Yeah, it's, right. it's not connected. It's just to, offline. You know, anytime. Yeah, it's just offline. In a and freezer. Actually have, you know, you can you can control that. And again, as an advisor, there's a lot of interesting things there from an estate conversation and trust conversation um, that other folks just don't have to have. But even from now, here's the other piece. No one talks about this, especially on our side, is insurance. I've had conversations with BACT, Gemini. What is the insurance piece? And to that point, is the insurance. OK, you have two hundred million dollars insurance. Fantastic. What is that hundred million, that two hundred million dollars cover? Is it? 90% to the hot? Is it 10% to the cold? Who gets priority there? Guess what? If you're an individual investor or you're a financial advisor, institutions are going to get protected first. That's just the way it's going to go. The institutions are going to make sure they're going to get you know, full insurance and they're going to be covered by that. Retail, not so much, but I've had to really dig into these conversations. Like, What does the insurance cover? Where does that go? These are conversations that are not being had. As fiduciaries, we have to have that conversation, which is why Fidelity knows right now we're going to stick strictly institutional because if we open up Pandora's box with retail and advisors and that whole thing, because here's here's what here's what a client's going to do. Okay, fine, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I think we're going to take fifty thousand dollars of your portfolio. We're going to put it into Bitcoin through whatever Fidelity Digital Assets ETF. That ever if that's ever a thing, you know what that client's going to say. Um, Okay, great. Is it insured? What happens if it goes to zero? Is there FDIC insurance? And that advisor is going to go, oh, uh, right? So we have a long way to go with custody on the retail advisory side. On the institutional side, it's more robust, um, but there's still that issue around the insurance and what is covered versus the cold versus the hot, right? You know, what what type of, you know, the account structures and things like that. But um, it's it's very interesting when you look at 
the options that are out there. Again, I th- again, Sean, Sean agreed. It's like Gemini is is high quality, but for me to explain that to some of my colleagues, they're just not going to get it. And they're, you know, how old is this? I think 2014, 2015. It's like I'm not putting my clients' assets there. Um, but Fidelity is immediate. You know, is, is immediate trusted source, which is again the messenger matters here um, in this space when you're going to having these conversations. To the insurance point, I think there, there there's a distinction there. One is insurance against hacking, I would suppose, and then there's got to be a distinction between how the the custody was. But you were also mentioning uh, uh, insurance against possibly if it goes to zero, sort of thing. I, I think those are probably two separate conversations, right? Uh, FGIC. Uh, well, I think he's talking about custodial insurance, no, right? Or custodial insurance side of it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I'm just saying the client is not a client now is not going to care about any of that. They're just going to say yeah. what happens if it goes to zero, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, that most on the custodial side is just simply that that insurance coverage, and, and again, the ability to buy more or whatever that looks like to get a State Street or Prime Trust or somebody in i've had hours and hours and hours of conversations behind the scenes and they're just not ready to yeah. be well, for advisory and asset management to come in yet it's 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 truly a, a pervasive issue right custodial certainty whether you're talking about um you know futures commodity merchants going uh belly up with client money uh as well as you know over over the centuries banks going uh, having bank runs i mean this is not this is not Particularly new, it's extremely important, especially in a, a frontier asset class where, where you have sort of minimal history and experience. And it's such a unique asset class, as you as you alluded to, right? There's this this uh, what do you call it? It's the possession um, bearer. Bear. It's bear, a bearer. Yeah. It's a bearer asset, right? So, mm-hmm. um, a couple questions here. One one question we've got: What do you guys think of um, uh, about decentralized finance, uh, DeFi? Some major play- players are offering eight to ten percent yield on stable coins, uh, but it's not exactly risk-free. How do you evaluate that risk or re- reward, or do you? I, I don't know if you guys look at that or don't. But uh, I've been digging into it, and uh, you're you're basically taking counterparty risk right now. Uh, you know, it, it's it, it's a it's a very strange animal to me that uh, you're going to over collateralize account to borrow some money borrow some cash. Uh, I understand where people don't want to sell crypto. Um, if they're up, they don't want to pay taxes. So they borrow against it. These yields are kind of unique, right? Like, so can you, can you explain it a little bit more? Even, even I'm a little bit foggy on the shot. So is this sort of like a margin account for your, for your brokerage where you're, you, you have yeah. X amount and, and you can borrow from that amount? Yeah. Is that sort yeah, of what it's like? $150 worth of a, a stable coin or a digital token, borrow a hundred dollars. So your account's over collateralized. Um, you, you've given up the keys. Basically, you've moved that crypto over in many cases. And if uh, you broach the, you know, the collateral level or if volatility exceeds a level, they can sell you out kind of BitMEX like. Um, coming from a credit background, you know, we say, you know, like the road to hell is paved with uh, reaching for yield. You know, <laughs> we got a whole we had a whole chapter in our book on that. It was just yeah. one page, big letters. And, uh, don't, don't. Th- these yields are are extraordinary. I don't know whether they'll last, um, but I, I'm not an expert yet. Yeah. So, 
What are stable coins exactly? Because I've, I've read a little bit on them. And so how would you differentiate a stable coin from Bitcoin, Ethereum, or any number of those more well-known cryptocurrencies? So I'll, I'll take that and also answer the first question. I'm super excited about DeFi. Um, it is a house of cards right now. Um, but I think what you're seeing on DeFi is the future of finance being built on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, again, there will be a lot of projects here that are going to fail. Um, but when you look at borrowing, lending, insurance, investment, all these things, Dharma right now is the most impressive thing what they're doing. I would encourage everyone just download the app just to look at it. It's incredible what they're doing. And then you also have to understand here is that the crypto space is missing its iPhone moment. It needs its iPhone moment where everyone just goes, whoa, oh, that's what it is. It's very easy to use and it's beautiful. Dharma is, inch is inching us there through decentralized finance, right? You can transfer money. You can buy Ether on there. You can collateralize it. Again, Argent. There's a few others out there, but it's a beautiful experience. The yields are crazy, right? You're taking a lot of risk, counterparty risk right away, smart contract risk. There's a lot of risk that you're taking. But just to be very careful, and again, I've kind of, I mean, I've had a client that literally collateralized Ethan to die and paid off, forgot what the number, some almost $100,000 worth of student loans, right? So it's working for folks that are very well, very well versed. I sat with a prospect that had roughly $3 million. If he never wanted to, he would never have to touch the traditional banking system again. Everything was run on Ether, and he was showing me his portfolio um, and it was remarkable how he completely removed himself from anything in the traditional market. So it's impressive was being built there still very early house of cars. I would encourage everyone to, to read more than you actually do and just take a look at Dharma and look at that. That's where it's going. Now, to your point, just like all things here, I think cryptocurrencies is a bad name, kind of like stable coins. Right. Crypto dollars, which which someone of a very prominent name in the space, Nick Carter, is trying to rename them crypto dollars. Um, and they are simply, from, the difference from Bitcoin is they're just simply now, they were made to be stable, right? To simply transact and move value as a dollar on the blockchain, right? Essentially, right? There's a peg on it. Right. There's a, okay. Yeah. And, and there are some that are fiat backed and there are some that are collateralized, right? So I can turn, I could take some of my ether, I could collateralize that and turn that into DAI, which is a type of stable coin, or I could use something like a USDC that's backed right by actual dollars and other and other things. So they the goal is for both of them to, to have a stable value. But it all again, tech savviness, goals, all these other things depends on how you actually would use crypto dollars or stable coins, right? For advisors and asset managers, you probably want to stay more towards the fiat backed. Some of my clients and people that are more tech savvy want to get into the synthetic collateralized type because it allows them to do so many like that. Like you get crazy leverage and do all types of stuff, depending on what it is you actually collateralize and what you actually use. Also, for financial advisors out there, be very careful because DeFi taxes for your clients is a nightmare. They will ask. I just posted on Twitter. I got a DM. This advisor panicked. Right. Not only did he not understand what basic attention token was and ether was, but there was just all these in and out trades or whatever. And I'm like, add some crypto accountants to your centers of influence immediately. Um, so the taxes there get a little crazy as well. So 
Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of, of DeFi. And I think moving forward, um, that's where the future, especially of, of financial services are being built. Interesting. Interesting. Another question is, do you think that uh, Bitcoin market dominance failing is something to worry about? Ooh. I'm not sure. I'm not no. sure the context of that exactly, but take it as you will. Yeah, not me. I, I, I love it. <laughs> I think that uh, over time, it's just going to pull away in a way, in a way. Um, the problem I have with a lot of other tokens that are built on projects or ICOs is they have some of the worst governance structures imaginable, right? It's like, okay, this company wants to raise money to build something out. Let's give these guys all of the money they ever thought they would make up front. <laughs> And let's see how that goes, right? right? And then you get an Instagram of a guy driving a Lamborghini in Mongolia, right? Like, okay, well, I guess uh, lesson learned, right? Yeah, you don't want to have a Lamborghini in Mongolia. <laughs> 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 so, Tyrone, that's I, the lesson. That's I, the lesson I, right I see, there. I see you nodding along. Is there anything else you want to tag on to the end of what Sean was saying there? Because I saw you nodding along pretty hard on that particular no, point. I, I just did. I I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, not much to add there. Okay. How about velocity coins or velocity tokens? Someone was mentioning this to me the other day. I hadn't even heard of it before, and he'd also yeah, my head. <laughs> right. All right. So yeah, not not for this conversation. And I also heard that they have a couple of them backed by gold and silver. So a couple of tokens backed by by actual precious metals. That struck to me as yeah. I mean, did. Digital tokens uh, based on gold have been around and tried for a long time. And, you know, it didn't work so well for the last guy. He ended up in jail. Um, there are some innovative ideas where the token would be based off a, based on a pool of, uh, for example, T-bills. Uh, you know, say 80% T-bills, you know, 20% five years, and then the remainder being like, say, like a pool of high yield. So your token is actually generating interest. Now, that's interesting because, you know, people that work in cash management, they move cash between corporations and banks. But here, and then they reinvest it. They're like, okay, we'll take in three and a half billion dollars from a European entity into Canada and we'll pay you whatever, 30 basis points in in interest per annum. But now if they're instead of moving dollars, they're moving a token, that actual token, which is a payment mechanism, mechanism is also the investment. And, th and that's a really interesting idea. I'm going to throw a couple of provocations at you guys based on that. I mean, one of them is just that all these different acronyms, acronyms for uh, collateralized uh, assets based on tokens Hints of the last great financial crisis a little bit. There was a lot of that going on, financial engineering. So just, just an initial thought. And the second one is if you're backing all these tokens with stuff that's in the system, be it fiat currency or precious metals or, or even uh, these more exotic assets, isn't that somewhat defeating the purpose of this hedge against the system or this protection against the dollar uh, itself and the dollar-based uh, uh, economy to, to some extent? What are your thoughts? Um, so to, to start where you just ended, no, because you are still operating outside the legacy financial system, right? So the whole thing with DeFi now is, again, decentralized finance is 
there's very little KYC AML. Take that as you will, whether that being good or bad. I think we all agree that's not the best thing, Mm. but they're starting to integrate more of that. And that's where folks get a little itchy and be like, well, it's not really decentralized anymore. But and there's some projects, again, that are completely algorithmic, programmable money out of the system. And then there's some that are still tied. Right. Because, again, even Dharma, you can link a bank account and things like that. And then but but again, these are on ramps to just allow you to get away more from the from the legacy system. Um, and what was it? Remind me, what was the first part of your question that you asked? No, I was just talking about all these collateralized uh, uh, ideas behind tokens. If that like can, a or not. Yeah, like a bubble like feeling of, uh, of people leaving, uh, adding leverage uh, right. onto the system and tacking on different layers that w- could potentially become, I'm not, I'm not saying that's where this is now. I'm just saying that. They're, no, they're, it's there and it's happened. Oh, so, 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 so there it is. In March, again, the house of cards fell, um, made the maker Dow and the, not to get into all that thing, the, the, but it, you know, there was a big issue with the over uh, you know, collateralization of the assets and then the price drop in the market, the 50% price price drop. So it happened. The beautiful thing, though, now is I think what we saw even coming out of 0809 in traditional markets is what we experienced this year with banks being capitalized, at least so they're telling us, right, capitalized well enough and they could withstand any, you know, macroeconomic shock better than they could then. With DeFi, I think it's going to be the same thing. I think they learned that lesson. It, again, it's, it's still the wild, wild west of who can write the better algorithm. <laughs> but I think as they continue to fail, as they get stronger, as, you know, we get into, you know, Ethereum 2.0 and the blockchain, you know, starts to, you know, be more developed in side chains and all these other things, it'll start to become more robust. Um, And it'll have a stronger foundation than it does right now. But the experimentation and everything that they're doing is very similar to that. And you saw right away, you get a 50% drop. One of the most you know, prominent project in the space failed to do what it was supposed to do, right? Going back to governance, as Sean mentioned, and, and a lot of these other things, they're going to figure that out, right? Because again, they're just, they're brilliant. They're just tinkering, writing code, monetary economics and fiscal policy and all that stuff, completely formative, but they're, yeah. they're learning that right away, Right. Of, of how that well, works. And, and just really quickly, that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin. That's all built in the monetary policy, the, the difficulty adjustments. And that's all embedded in the system. It's beautiful math of how yeah. it works. It's interesting because there's a question earlier on about, you know, the I think blockchain. Does that mean money? Does, what does it mean? What is Bitcoin? And, and so all of this conversation is really sort of about the various applications that the concept that a blockchain a distributed ledger will achieve in so many different domains. And I think as a simpleton in this domain, I think of it as sort of the invention of the internet back in the early nineties. There was no way we can imagine, we could imagine how that was going to transform the world and how it would be used and what the applications would be. And I think, you know, from a blockchain perspective, you've got contracts, you've got currencies, you've got the ability to interact between those contracts and currencies. You've probably got logistics items that you can cover. You know, you know, we really probably can't even imagine all of the use cases that will represent themselves 
over the next 20 years. I think, I mean, I think that's the thesis that you would have to believe in at the beginning in order to, you know, into, in order to jump all in as, as you two gentlemen have on this, on this topic, you want to add anything there? Cause I just wanted to cover that, that one question that was earlier on about, you know, the, the difference between blockchain, Bitcoin and, and the different types of any further clarity, I'm sure would be welcome. Well, um, Blockchain is just like a, a very, very slow but secure database structure. And it's only when it's distributed across this uh, massive, you know, decentralized network does it have value beyond, frankly, Microsoft Excel. Mm-hmm. Right? It's only, and, and that was the brilliant turn that Satoshi Nakamoto figured out, you know, it's like, we're not going to pay people. We don't have the money to actually pay people to run this database. But if they'll do this proof of work, we'll pay them in a token that over time, um, we hope will appreciate in value because the work they do now uh, and in the future makes that database secure. And as it grows in value and it can be used as a a trust machine to transfer value, um, people will want to use it for transferring value. Like we've done a a bunch of trades in the last few days and right now I monitor the blockchain. I just saw a trade go by for $176 million in the current mempool, right? Like the amount of value being transferred on the Bitcoin blockchain is just astounding. Right. I'd, I'd encourage anyone to go to tradeblock.com, click on Bitcoin and see the actual blockchain being like hammered together in real time. Um, you see the transactions on the lower right. You see the blocks being formed. Uh, it's an amazing thing to watch. And then when you go to a website like BitNodes and you see all of the, you know, across the globe, all of these flashing dots where nodes which are not miners but they're they're people that are basically contributing hardware and electrical power towards um keeping the blockchain safe but is i've said this before like uh, the bitcoin and its associated blockchain in my opinion is the most egalitarian effort of humanity right when you look across the, the tens and tens of thousands of people that have reviewed the code, like maybe hundreds of thousands of people that have reviewed that code, that have improved it for no payment to serve as, as a decentralized system where nobody you know, can get paid the way that people get paid in the traditional centralized organization. It's astounding. It's amazing to me. You know, it doesn't matter like who you are, what you look like, where you were educated. Um, if your ideas are good enough, they bubble up through a process of people that have proven themselves technically. Yep. And if your idea is good enough, it will get Im- implemented. That's that's fantastic. Yep. Open source. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so, so there's a, certainly an energy component to that, and an energy component to that. Someone's asking, is it is it is blockchain an energy hog? You you can comment on that. Um, and then, 
Secondly, what happens when all the Bitcoin is mined? What what is in it for the distributed work environment to continue to track things like in 2044? Like what happens then? It's a great question. I'll. I'll yeah, I mean, we're speculating. We're having fun. Thought I mean, experiments. Uh, yeah, only because I, I, the there's a really good piece. I'd encourage whoever this is that Nick Carter just wrote on about the energy that Bitcoin uses. And I think you, you, it's a really illuminating piece about how much of it is actually renewable, about what how, how it, it's fruitful, the energy that it used to create something that is as hard and, and demonstrates so much value. I don't really get into that much. That's not my argument. But I think if, if you read Nick Carter's piece, he illuminates very well why a lot of that is bunk, right? And, and he kind of fixes that, you know, kind of fixes that argument. Um, but I don't know if Sean has has thoughts on that, but that's my feeling on it. So on energy or like, you know, recently somebody said that uh, Bitcoin annually uses as much energy as the United States uses on Christmas lights or, you know, it it's uses a fraction of the energy used by like the global gold mining industry. And whatever it does use, remember this, somebody's paying for that energy. Right. And if we're going to believe in a capitalist market, you know, and maybe it's not, you know, maybe some people are levering off of free energy in, in different places. But at the end of the day, somebody has to pay for the energy, for the hardware, for the real estate, for the HR to maintain that. This is not something that gets created out of thin air. So whatever people are paying for energy is worth it. It's like, you know, right. it's, cre- it's creating a value. Right. It's creating something of value. Yeah. Right. What, um, Greg Foss. But your second question, okay, I guess. Uh, no, Mike, I, I was just curious. The second question that you asked, uh, and, and Sean, Tyrone, uh, what happens when the the last uh, mining runs are, are completed? You said right. 2044. Uh, I don't know if that's, in fact, the, the, the exact uh, date. 20, 2140. And then, whenever, whenever it happens. Yeah. The idea is that uh, the transaction fees, uh, will make up the revenue for the miners. And remember that like uh, right now there's like 9,000, over 9,000 nodes running where people just maintain a blockchain on their own node to make sure that things are secure. And so I expect that that's going to increase over time as well. Um, and if we do look at layers on top of Bitcoin, like lightning network and something your, your smaller transactions will occur there and they'll get aggregated up and then settled um, globally on the blockchain because it will be expensive to do things on the blockchain going forward. Interesting. So we talk about a hundred year time frame. Then what, what's the chance that does quantum computing eventually or do quantum computers do all of this? I mean, now we're getting a sci-fi a little bit, which is a little fun. <laughs> I, I, I thought so at first, but when I really look into it um and again not an expert but it it just seems to me as a bit of a red herring right like you got a 10 minute block time and the amount of what you have to reverse and then people are like well we'll just use it to crack sha-256 um you know sha-256 is is pretty hard and uh but maybe by the time that those entities or, or those computers are functional will be at SHA 
you know, like a 10 multiple of that. Right. And you're, you're talking about the energy to, to spin up a, a quantum computer is pretty high. Well, yeah. And, and I, and I think, yeah, you, you make a good point. It is a bit of a red herring. <laughs> like, look at, look at the system we're running on. Does that have some problems and issues? Yeah, you think that, like, <laughs> yeah. your credit card will be secure, you know, your bank account. Like. Right. I got it. Right now, I have a four-digit pin. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. Yeah, probably. It's probably a red herring. Um, yeah, Greg Voss also asks, what, what market cap do we do you think or do we think that uh, Bitcoin can achieve, give, given, let's say, gold as a $9 trillion total market cap? So, in, in the context of an asset class now, backing out of the you know, the deep, we're deep into our fingers into the, uh, into the, the mining and the proof of concept, but backing it out and going here, we have a $250 billion market cap asset. Um, if it proves uh, proof of concept, like we've talked about, you know, what's the potential for, um, for that growth? Does anyone have any thoughts on that or um, dare to make any, I mean, obviously you gentlemen have, have made pretty big, investments in this and I, I mean that in the way just when you when you put your own personal uh careers into something like this um, so i'm 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 thinking that you guys are going to have a pretty good number on this pretty high number but <laughs> 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 and, I, and i do i do accept that you would have some bias but i still want to know skinning the game bias is that what you're <laughs> it's getting the game of career risk yeah. um I, I think so so I, I always tell people this way when you look at market cap, again, I don't know if that's the right metric to gauge it on. We're doing that now. So let's just say, so this is what I said. Overall, when the entire space, right, and there's still a lot of junk that has to die, but when the entire space gets somewhere around a trillion dollar market cap, now you're, you're, you're cooking with grease, as my mother would say. But before that, I think a couple of things happened. When we even wink next to new highs in Bitcoin, all hell breaks loose, right? And you're going to see a lot of, a lot happen from the institutional side, from retail. And so we'll, so we'll really see what happens. So, so Bitcoin could jump, you know, in market cap itself to the full market cap of where we are right now in the entire space. So that's a hundred percent from now, right? Cause the, the, the high was yeah. 20,000 mm-hmm. around there. Yeah. Right. So again, it's, it's, I, I feel like we can get into that, you know, I don't know if we approach gold, but again, I just think the the, the benchmark that I said is let's just get to a trillion dollars in space overall. Now you have something that's viable. It showed some some length. Again, ETH, ETH is still really young. Bitcoin is still really young. Let's get some, you know, that Lindy effect going, right? And then we can talk about bigger, longer term time frames and more research and numbers. And then that market cap number will come. But if we just get to a trillion dollars of overall value in the space, I think you'll start to get really heavy hands that are like, okay, this is going to be around. We can, you know, more financialization of the space. And then you go from maybe a a trillion total to, again, Bitcoin getting, you know, getting up there in that number itself and then approaching, you know, that, that market cap for gold at some point. It only took, it only took Amazon like 20 years to do that. Right. right. <laughs> you think about and 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 I think I think the stat is there was three 90 percent declines in Amazon mm-hmm. on the way. Yeah. So so I don't I don't you know, the volatility is something that that's why I think at the outset, you gentlemen talked about what what's the position size initially. Well, you know, for someone who's unfamiliar, it's small. 
And yeah. then, and then Tyrone's conversation is totally different. Like, you know, ninety mm percent's -hmm. a little high. You should probably yeah. diversify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to throw out that uh, like three trillion, right? You know, let's get through the next having. You know, plus a uh, plus a year. Um, when you think about what has more utility to human beings on the planet, Apple, Amazon, you know like that are trillion dollar plus companies or uh, a global means of payment and savings uh, that addresses all of humanity. I, I'm going to say like a third of the value of gold and that'll evolve over time as people become even more and more comfortable with it. And then, gonna, and then no. just one, one follow on that. How, yeah. how do you, how do you think governments evolve? Cause we, we do have to pay some tax at some point. Like, you know, I get there's this whole world of of the, the the crypto space, the libertarian side, but there are social programs that we have to fund. And so when you take things off book, so to speak, like are governments going to be participating in this and taking their portion of that in order to to to, to spend on on various programs to fund, whether it's education or, you know, um, uh, better living or, or, or healthcare. Like there's a whole number of things that government serves a role in and we'll, we'll all take a different, a varying degree on how effectively they do that. And that will be, you know, that'll be also the jurisdiction that we live in and all kinds of stuff going on today. In that realm. So we're, we're all, we're all going to fall in. And, uh, but how, how did, have you guys given some thought to that? Cause that's something that I, I, I look at that and say, I don't know how that manifests. Maybe it's super easy and that, that's just how it happens. But any thought been given into that in the greater sort of crypto space with you two gentlemen? So for me, right in here, in, here in the U S Bitcoin is considered property. Um, and the government now wants to know if you own it, period, you hold it, you trade it, whatever they want to know. Also, there's no wash sale rule, which is interesting. Um, but any capital gain, um, again, is taxed, right? If you sell capital gains, it's taxed. So, and I think that will be the majority of folks that will pay taxes on it. There's going to be a small subset who opts out and want to yeah. be libertarian and go to jail, right? But um, I do, I do think for the most part, there is a tax planning around the conversation around it. If you're a financial advisor, again, for those who hold a large position, want to borrow against it. What's, what goes on there? Um, DeFi, folks who even trade in and out. There's a there's a there's a lot there. The other thing is, you know, being able to reconcile your losses, right, versus you know your your stock and things like that. So it's a very interesting tax conversation. But the government is going to get theirs for sure, um, especially here in the U.S. Again, like you said, what they do with it is a whole nother story. Yeah. But yeah. Um, they're they're definitely working to 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 get you know to get theirs here. So I'm, I'm going to quote uh, Mike Novogratz on this. He's like, pay your taxes, right? And then I <laughs> sure. tell you, like, um, I, I did a certification as a crypto asset investigator with CipherTrace, and uh, it was uh, taught by uh, a woman that spent a fair bit of time working for a three-letter government agency, like. <laughs> If you don't think they're going to find out what you're doing, you really got another thing coming, mm -hmm. right? Like, there, everything can be tracked, uh, other than say, you know, stuff that is like coin joined or uh, is in uh, ring signature type of currencies. 
But um, I mean, God help you at some point in the future, you're crossing a border and you have a Monero balance on your phone. They scan your phone, you know, oh, you got a Monero balance. Um, we're going to talk to you over in this room now. Right. Well, it's like the $10,000 you're crossing the border with maybe. I I guess I'm coming back at yeah. it from, from even, so I get that part, pay your taxes here, but I'm paying my taxes, let's say in US or Canadian dollars. Right. If it's a currency, does the government ever, because, you know, part of the, part of the, part of the play or part of the attraction here is that it's not diluted. So I suppose what you're saying is it's sort of like gold. If they want to print as much money as they want, let them print it. This is my bank account. This is where I'm going to hold my money. Mm -hmm. And you can print as much of that as you want. And I'm going to enter that world of currency, whatever fiat currency you're in, wherever I might be. And I'll use it and spend it. But really, I'm going to hold my my state, the stability. That is that sort of the, I guess, the first 50 years? Probably, yeah. Again, okay. Bitcoin has to evolve still, right? So the yep. largest hands, the whales, so to speak, at some point will be incentivized to move away from it, right? And, and there, there's yep. some tax applications there. There's some, you know, divestiture and, and reallocation of assets. So, and, and that's going to happen at some point. But right now, again, that savings mechanism, that store value type of component is very compelling, but there'll be a point where Bitcoin evolves and it becomes much more part of, you know, um, our everyday life. And, I, and they'll they'll be incentivized to do that. But, yeah, it's a really good point. Agree. Yeah, cool. it's the whole idea between low and high time preference. Right. I, I, I guess yep. everybody that's holding it now has a low time preference. But I, I kind of wanted to circle back on something we were talking about earlier in the conversation that then. Uh, using what Mike just said now, is it gold? Is it currency? So you deal with people that maybe have 50, 60, 80% of their portfolios in, in, in crypto, uh, Tyrone. But if you were to say, okay, for instance, let's say average investor is, is already thinking outside the box a little, maybe he's holding 50% equities, 30% bonds, a little bit outside of the 60, 40, and 20% in alternatives. What would be the range for a more risk averse to a more risk tolerant investor that you would say? And where would you carve that portion out for you to position uh, a wallet of crypto? And would you di diversify it or would you hold particularly Bitcoin? How would you position that for the average retail investor that's starting to consider it uh, for a portion of their portfolio? You know, it's funny. I've taken a controversial stance on this. Um I'm, I don't get the whole 1% allocation thing. I mean, I get it, get off zero. But if you really care about an asset and you think it's going to do what it's supposed to do with your portfolio and you have conviction, why only 1%? Now, I understand why the Novogratz of the world and those folks would tell financial advisors that and others. I completely get it. I don't have anything to sell them. So I say, that look at, run the models, right, of, 90% cash, 10% Bitcoin. Run the models of, again, you know, Jeremy Siegel just came out and said the 60-40 is dead, right? Like, take a little bit of that 40 now, and maybe it's 15 into, into Bitcoin. And again, he hated gold, but now he's saying there's some, you know, there's some interest in gold now. And, and I, I, I just retweeted a podcast I did. I'm like, take out gold and put in Bitcoin here. So that matters. So I feel like if you if you really have conviction and you're having that conversation with the client, I, I would feel comfortable maybe in that two and a half, five percent range if you really have conviction, 
And again, how are you going to classify that? What sleeve is that? Is that the alt sleeve? Is you got to figure that part out. But I just, I just never the one percent allocation. Now, again, for larger investment managers, that's that's significant. But for what I do, one percent is like, what, what are you doing? Where would you carve out? out of the portfolio, what would be your recommendation or, or at least what's the framework that you would well, use? Well, we the recommendations. If you were speculating. And you were, and you had something came out of your mouth that you weren't responsible for. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> if I just accidentally, no, yeah. here, here's how I frame it, right? If you, now this depends on the advisor you're asking. For me, my clients are very young. So, that bond piece is already very small, if anything. So you're probably taking away from that equity piece, right? It's not going to be, oh, well, let's take away from your T-bills or your, you know, your, your corporate bond portfolio. It's probably going to be, all right, you own enough square, right? You own enough slack, right? How about you, you, you put maybe 5% here, um, so that's how I would look at it. But again, I think a financial advisor deals with retirees. That's a that's great a point. Tyrone. Conversation. Yeah. That's a great point, Tyrone. And I, I'm going to I'm going to just jump in and flip this over to Sean, because you mentioned something to me, Sean. We were having a conversation probably a couple of weeks ago about how some tech funds are actually looking at um, Bitcoin as an investment in their space, because Tyrone, Tyrone mentioned, hey, Slack and so on and Shopify and on Spotify and all the shops and spots. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 uh, maybe you can, Sean, you can give some more insight on that, on what you're seeing on, on that side for you. Right. Like the, these tech guys are going back to the that framework I talked about before. What is a, you know, like a technology based platform deliverable through mobile devices to the entire population at once. Right. And you can think about Uber, Slack, um, Square. You know, all, you know, the pivot of that Facebook made to mobile, right? It's like, um, that's where you're going to get a lift where now you're addressing 7 billion people at a go. Why, why is Shopify worth more than any of the Canadian banks, which make more money than anyone knows what to do with, right? Um, it's because they can address a global market essentially through a mobile phone using software, Software so, eats the world. Who said that? There's a Mark, Mark Andreessen. That, you yeah. know, Software like, eats the world. They're big into crypto now. They have a crypto fund. Um, and, you know, and that and that's what's going to happen. It's going to. I be, got up my allocation immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's like you know one of the things about you know uh, that became obvious to us when we were putting our product together is that it's uh, uh, it's tax compliant. Right. It's like you have the exposure to Bitcoin, but it sits in your account as a stock. Right. Not only do you get like all of the um, the industry insurance funds like CIPF around if your broker goes down, you're protected. Right. It doesn't protect the asset, doesn't protect you from the asset being volatile or going down. But it's now infrastructure that makes it accessible to a lot of people and they don't have to think about the taxes like one of the challenges I had when I went crazy getting into this was I probably had like 12 or 15 different wallets. Mm -hmm. And then I'm moving stuff between them. I'm trying like Abra and Shapeshift. And every time I do that, I'm actually incurring uh, 
a, a tax position. But like, I, you know, like, I'm like, okay, well, it's like a few hundred bucks and then I'm just not going to worry about it. But it, it is, it is a, a challenge when you're trying to do things now in size. Yeah, I, I, I feel that. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm underexposed now, but I think, I think so the, uh, I think, well, I think honestly what's happening in the, in the world is that it's, you said it perfectly Tyro and it's get off zero. So what is, how do, how do, how do you get people off zero in, in this, uh, in, in, in this environment? Certainly, you know, what was funny was when it was hitting 17, 18, 19, $20,000 Bitcoin, I was getting calls all the time. Yep. And it was classic bubble behavior. And I just said, no, it'll, it's going to have a 90% correction just when it's down 90% buy some, but don't buy it now. Right, and right. and and it's just that sheer luck. It could have gone to forty thousand before it went down. At some point in that moment, you're kind of you're kind of in a you, you're in that bubble environment, and you can kind of feel it. And you just said, just said, wait. It went to whatever it went to two or three thousand. Nobody called. It's kind of like, well, you know, if you wanted to take a poke at twenty, at two is probably better. Right. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> so. Right. So it's it's interesting the 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 sort of the overwhelming human behavioral draw, but I think you know this has been a great conversation about the ins and outs, the 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 potential for this to have some pretty significant upside, the potential for it to be a, a quite a diversifier to portfolios. I don't know, Richard, did you have a chance to talk about just how you know short time frame, but how it's quite different from gold stocks and bonds? At all? Did yeah. you share a lot of that? I, or no? I mentioned it very briefly when you went to uh, to the bathroom. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, so here you have here you have an asset, frontier asset, albeit, but a very different asset. I think it's a different group of owners. Generally speaking, those owners that own that asset class are quite different than the owners that are owning your gold, your stocks, and your bonds, mm-hmm. which definitionally should probably provide a different stream of returns. Except in the liquidity crisis, everything goes down in the liquidity crisis. And the last one in March, even, you know, U.S. Treasury bonds went down in, in the liquidity crisis. So, you know, there, there are times when everybody panics and that, that's fine. But um, it certainly makes a uh, we've made I think we made a pretty compelling case. And, you know, I think in Canada in particular, um, you know, you have a very broadly available prospectus based product for people to buy that's that's listed on the TSX, which, you know, even, you know, as I, as I hear you talk about things, Tyrone, and trying to get things set up, you don't quite have that available on a broad based prospectus product that you could have some faith in and that would qualify for insurances and things like that. So it's a bit of an advantage for Canadians. Yeah, you guys are ahead of us with a bunch of this stuff <laughs> and other stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's um, you know, just reading about, you know, the fund and everything just in some research. I'm like, man, right. We just can't get over to hunt with it. But I think we'll get there eventually. Folks in the space here are excited that uh, Clayton is going, you know, stepping down and being removed. So they feel like we'll get it. We'll get an ETF, um, you know, over over the you know, over the finish line soon. Um I'm not excited about an ETF, but again, I get it if I'm a fund and everything else. But for retail, for advisors, I don't think it's the best thing. I think some type of separately managed account structure is better. But again, it will, you know, it'll it'll be good overall for again for liquidity purposes and price discovery and and access, right? So we do want those things. I want to make that very clear. 
But the fact that, you know, financial advisors are like, give us, give us an ETF, give us a Bitcoin ETF worries me a little bit. Yeah. But that's a conversation for the other day. But we'll get there. Though. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, anyone got any uh, closing remarks? Did you have any other questions, Richard, or any anything else on no, your I list? Think, I think we covered uh, a whole lot of ground here today. It was great. Uh, I learned a lot. Me too. Me too. I really appreciate you gentlemen taking the time to, to be with us today and uh, Thank you guys. Enjoy, enjoy a little happy hour and some riffs. And uh, uh, we'll, I, I think there'll be an opportunity to do this again at some point yeah. down uh, the road. And we can uh, all get together and do the feats of strength again. You know? Yes. That's right. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, don't let, don't let Tyrone take, he'll take you to the track. <laughs> I don't Absolutely. know. I don't know if you ever have gone to the track, but sprinting is, one of the most demanding if you haven't sprinted for a while and you go sprint you'll be catatonic you'll be in a body cast yeah absolutely spring is a heavy deadlift yeah well have to get have to get to the banya after that yeah. it's great to meet Tyrone. nice to meet you like and share don't forget it yeah that's right subscribe like and share all that good stuff and uh appreciate you guys thank Thank you so much for taking the time thank you for listening to the gestalt university podcast you will find all the information we highlighted in this episode in the show notes at investresolve.com forward slash blog you can also learn more about resolve's approach to investing by going to our website and research blog at investresolve.com where you will find over 200 articles that cover a wide array of important topics in the area of investing. We also encourage you to engage with the whole team on Twitter by searching the handle at InvestResolve and hitting the follow button. If you're enjoying the series, please take the time to share us with your friends through email, social media. And if you really learned something new and believe that our podcast would be helpful to others, we would be incredibly grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and see you next time.